0: If anyone's out there,
1: play twice and keep listening. Play twice and keep
0: listening. Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann and I'm Allison and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. How are you? I am doing good. I actually have something to confess.
1: Okay, so over the past couple weeks, so we, we have a fantastic Patreon account, we have a lot of patrons, we love each and every one of them, they've been choosing topics for us, so I've been getting some feedback, people have been like, oh, like, we've been unable to find you on Patreon, so I was like, oh, shit, like, what have I done wrong setting up our Patreon account? Uh-huh. So, <laughs> So I submit a help desk ticket, and they then tell me that our I have, like, flagged our, our account with having adult content, which in Patreon world means we have nudity. <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't been coming up in the search engines because of all the nudity, which, to be fair psychology and history throughout the world there's been a shit ton of nudity Yep. however very little i would say on our our podcast specifically that's true we only talked about porn once that's a good point (laughs) um so a ticket has been submitted but for those who do want to contribute to our patreon while we're getting this adult content issue figured out we've got a link directly from our website which is podcastwithoutanaudience.com you can click on the Patreon or support us button, and it'll take you directly there.
0: I also then want to give a huge shout out to our current Patreons who figured out how to overcome <laughs> yes, the adult content issue. Thank you. Also, yes. I really hope no one was disappointed.
1: Right. I know. Like, I guess when I was setting it up, I was like, sure. I mean, we'll probably because. say fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it's like specifically some, some raunchy... Huh. material. Which at this point we're not particularly yeah, at this interested point we're in doing. Right. A year from now we'll see. But as of this point <laughs> <laughs> that's not for us. Um so well, that was the most recent update. I'm so, so glad side. that you
0: got it fixed. <laughs> well and, and- I'm even more glad that you waited until we were recording to oh, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. You can't yell at me when you're being recorded. <laughs> um, How are you? What's new with you? Um, So I guess the biggest thing that's new with me is that I am super indecisive, which you know about me. You've Hi. known me for a million years now. Who's
1: not indecisive?
0: That's true. So I uh, named my cat... My new cat that we talked about last week, mm-hmm. um, I'd had him for less than 12 hours when oh, yeah. I came over to record. And I was like, oh, his name is Hugo. He's going to be Hugo. Victor Hugo. Love it. Les Mis is my favorite book. Uh, favorite musical. All about it. So then I get home <laughs> <laughs> and actually spend some time with him. And I was like, man, Hugo just doesn't seem to fit. Right. And then I wake up the other day and this little turd has knocked my computer off of my desk he knocked your whole my whole laptop off? is That's upside a down thing on to do not even leo would pull that shit yeah. leo is the cat that i had for like 11 years and he was the worst with like making direct eye contact and yeah. knocking stuff off like a glass or whatever <laughs> uh so moby dick has officially earned his name Coming
1: in hot, Moby, <laughs>
0: um, for several reasons. Yeah, not just the fact that he's all white, like the great whale that he was named after, mm-hmm. um, and has scars the way that Moby Dick had scars. Mm-hmm. Um, Oliver was just as pissed off as Captain Ahab. Yeah. I get to tell their story, which means that I am Ishmael.
1: I mean, he's the physical embodiment of an allegorical novel. Allegorical novel about the whaling industry.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's and that simple. He
1: knocks shit off the table.
0: <laughs> and so now I get to call him Moby Dick whenever he really pisses me off. So now we have Moby, Ollie, Obi, and, and Dolly. <laughs> <laughs> Complete accident. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, so I now have Moby and Ollie, or Moby, Dick, and Oliver Twist. Mm-hmm. So, And I have Dolly Parton and Obi-Wan Kenobi. What a
1: gang. <laughs> That's who I want in my
0: apocalypse <laughs> squad. Oh, for sure. Really yeah. dynamic. Five, sure. They're phenomenal. Um, I so, think...
1: And, and and the personality thing, like, you re- they really do change. Yeah. Like, you think you know what's up, and then you really get to know them, and it's something totally different.
0: Yeah, and I felt so bad, like... I feel like I had to come with you with my tail between my legs saying, hey, I changed his name, even though no! we released wow. this new episode. And you're like, girl, it's totally fine. Girl, um, oh, get your girl. It's fine. Girl, get your girl. And thank you all so much for those of you who responded on Instagram to the name. Oh, yeah. Thing. That was so much fun. Such a great. I mean. Shocking! Like Uh the results. Peeves did really well. Peeves did do really well, and I totally get it. Poltergeist, all white cat, makes total sense. Also, shout out to those of you who know that Peeves was in the books and not the movies, Mm -hmm. and the movies are really missing out. Yeah, because Peeves is the best ghost. The Harry Potter.
1: Yeah. Um. And Hugo, honestly, I think did
0: the worst. The worst. Yeah.
1: And I think that was a sign.
0: I agree. I agree. Everyone knew before I did that he yeah. was not a Hugo. There you go. Um, so, Moby it is. Hugo is back on the pet name list for a future pet.
1: There we go. Um,
0: but just not this particular mm-hmm. one. And that's okay. Yep. So, here we are with Moby, Ollie, Obi, and Dolly. Oh, it's like a... F- Stay tuned for pet merch. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everybody gets a bust. Yeah. Podcaster bust podcast I love we don't use that hashtag enough I know
1: I used it in the beginning because I was like huh huh get it because we're on busts because that's is that (laughs) history psychology um Anyway, speaking of history and psychology, what the fuck are we getting into today? What's our psychology topic, Karian?
0: Okay, so our psychology topic goes down a bit of a rabbit hole, because I love a good rabbit hole. And your cat looks like a rabbit. Continue. (laughs) And both my cats look like rabbits. Um, So we're going to lay some groundwork here, because I am kicking off a three-part series.
1: (gasps) Your first three-part? My first
0: three-part. Oh my goodness. Um, So we know how much I love to talk about the brain and trauma... Because, hashtag psychology. Uh Uh-huh. So, we're going to... building blocks. (laughs) And we're building the blocks to talk about trauma. There we go. (laughs) Look at us. Um, So, we're going to start off today talking about the brain. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk about trauma. Mm
1: -hmm. And then
0: we're going to talk about my actual topic, which is the Hulk. (gasps) Like
1: Like, Luke Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk?
0: Like the Incredible Hulk.
1: (laughs) Is it Lou Ferrigno or Luke Ferrigno?
0: I don't. Uh, I think it's
1: Lou. I unclear think I said at this it wrong. time.
0: Unclear. I watched the 2003 version, which is Eric Bana as the Hulk. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, um, I'm also not a Marvel person, so this was a new experience for me, and we'll get into oh, I'm right. ready why. But um, so the Hulk and the way that we're talking about him today has to do with the trauma response of fight. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about fight, flight, and freeze as my three-part series. Yes. So today is fight. I'm super, super excited. Okay, but first we got to talk about the brain. Yeah. Because the brain does things. Dan Siegel (laughs) is a doctor, a medical doctor. And he was looking for a way to explain the brain to people in a really easy, accessible way. So everyone who is listening and you, Allison, hold up your hand, like palm out away from you. Mm -hmm. um, And you're going to make a fist with your thumb inside. So put your thumb in your palm and then make a fist. Okay. This, when you turn it kind of sideways... Looks like a brain. Oh. Like, your knuckles are your frontal lobe. Um, we're going to break down all the parts, but this is a representation of a brain. Got it. Okay. What are my, my long, talony,
1: lavender nails? Are those anything in particular?
0: Uh, that's your prefrontal cortex. Gotcha. Gorgeous. Yep. She's gorgeous. She's, well, <laughs> she is ready. Poppin'. Okay. So now that we're both looking at our fists, I'm going to tell you why this works. Okay. First, it's a pretty handy model. Get it? It's a hand. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. First, it kind of looks like a brain, sort mm-hmm. of. Your wrist, um, like this part here, uh-huh. represents your spinal cord.
1: Okay, so, so uh, that
0: tendon running the length of your arm. Exactly, it's your spinal cord. Okay. When you raise your fingers and move your thumb, like the palm of your hand is where your brain stem would be, so kind of the base of your palm. Okay. Okay your thumb we're going to tuck it back down okay is the limbic system our limbic area okay um, so we're kind of making a 4 right so if um if this were to be more accurate you would have a thumb on the other side of your hand too and mm-hmm. both of your thumbs would come in together mm-hmm. and that would rec- uh, represent the symmetrical like both sides of the brain mm-hmm. um but we only have one thumb so we're going to stick with that <laughs> Then we curl our fingers down, and from our knuckles down to our fingertips is the cortex. Mmm. Okay? Okay. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what each piece does and why this is helpful.
1: Awesome. What a good visual.
0: Isn't it cool? Well done. Yeah, thank you. So we basically know what the spinal cord does. Like, mm-hmm. it sends messages to the rest of the body, so we're not going to talk much about that. We're going to go straight into the brain stem. So the brainstem, remember this is kind of the base of your palm, Mm -hmm. is also called the reptilian brain. And it helps with basic functioning. So this is what keeps your heart beating or what makes your heart beat faster or slower. It's what controls your lungs, um, energy levels, and it controls uh, states of arousal. So like if you're hungry, Mm -hmm. that comes from your basic reptilian brain. Um, If you're full, if you're awake or sleepy, uh, sexual desire, all of that happens right here. This is also what controls your fight, flight, and freeze responses. Mm. Um, so, we're gonna come back to fight, flight, freeze, and fawn in just a second. But this is where survival brain happens. Okay. Our limbic region, which is again our thumb, works closely with the brain stem to navigate your basic needs and emotions. The limbic region. Evaluates the current situation and basically asks the question, is this good or bad?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, all
1: black and white thinking.
0: Right. So, we're moving towards like this is what encourages you to move towards what feels good and withdraw from what feels bad. Mm -hmm. That's what this does. The limbic area, um, it's also important to note this is where we form relationships and become emotionally attached to one another. So Dr. Siegel in his article about this says if you ever raised fish or frogs or lizards, you know that these non-mammalian creatures lack attachment to you and one another because they exist in the reptilian brain only. Mm-hmm. As species devo- yeah. evolve that from, what
1: is that? It's named after that like characteristic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow.
1: That makes so much sense. we talked about that before. It's just like reptile owners have their own personalities.
0: So <laughs> it's reptiles. Yeah. It's because this reptilian brain is basically the first thing to have developed as brains were being developed. So as gotcha. we are emerging from the ocean mm-hmm. way back when, we only had a reptilian brain because that's all we needed.
1: And it's a very selfish. Like, self-serving kind of situation.
0: Exactly, yeah. Um, Then the limbic system was the second piece of the brain to develop. And we think of this for small mammals, like cats, rats, and dogs, which are able to build attachment. Mm -hmm. But they still primarily function in the survival mode brain. They just can now build attachment, and they respond um, pretty readily to environmental stimuli. Mm Okay. Okay. Again, that's super, super basic overview, and we'll probably get a little deeper into this with each of the three parts of the series that we're going down. Um, But this limbic system is also responsible for stimulating the release of cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and adrenaline. Mm -hmm. So it's responsible for memories, facts, experiences, and anything that links your emotions to your experiences. Um, Specifically, we're going to be talking about the amygdala. So the amygdala is uh, especially important for fear responses. And the amygdala can prompt uh, instantaneous survival response. So the way that I explain this to the kids I work with is... Um the amygdala is like an alarm or like a dog barking to let your brainstem know that something is wrong and we're going in survival mode. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the amygdala is like signaling the alarm for the brainstem to be activated. Then we close our fist back up and we have the cortex, and this is where thinking brain happens. This part of the brain allows us to have ideas and use concepts to develop insights into the world. Um, The frontal cortex allows us to be thinking about thinking, so meta-aware, your purple nail polish is meta-aware, that it is both purple and nail polish. (laughs) Um, And the cortex, the reason that this kind of looks like a brain is the ridges on your fingers Mm -hmm. are similar to the bumpy ridges and valleys and whatnot in your brain. Mm -hmm. The cortex is divided into regions and lobes that we will again get into later.
1: Hippocampus, I remember that one.
0: Yeah, we talk a little bit. Well, not in this episode. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about the hippocampus.
1: Okay. Good job, bravo! Thank you. It's that one AP cl- <laughs> class I took in high school. <laughs> oh, you're just education. nailing it! Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: <laughs> Okay, so this is again just kind of the gist of the brain. What's important to know is that when your brain is on and thinking, when you're you got your little fist going, mm-hmm. you're able to learn new information, process the meaning out of the complexities of life. When the amygdala, so your thumb, is triggered, it alerts the brain stem, and all of a sudden, uh, we call this popping the top or popping your frontal lobe. So it's no longer activated. And oh. then for it to be activated, it has to come back online so you can start processing information again. Because when you're in survival brain, you can't process the complexities of gotcha.
1: life. So it's a survival thing. Exactly. Shuts down the un- quote, unimportant
0: stuff. Correct. It's like, we're going straight to the source. Gotcha. We're going to survive this. Okay. So how this works with fight, flight, freeze, and fawn is when the amygdala is triggered, you have one of three... And occasionally we reference four fear responses. Mm -hmm. So fight is the one we're going to be talking about today, which is literally facing whatever is going on and fighting. Flight is getting away from it as fast as you can. Freezing is we think of it as like curling up into a ball or curling up inside yourself and just shutting down. uh, (laughs) Party of two. (laughs) Every single time. (laughs) Um, And then Fawn is a relatively new way to think about a fear response, but it's basically trying to um, navigate your way through. Like if someone is attacking you, you try and sweet talk it. You're like, you're trying to, show them that you're not a threat. So you get like these big doe eyes and you're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. So you're not actually freezing and you're not fleeing and you're not fighting. You're like accepting and saying, Oh, I'm so sorry. This, I didn't mean to do this. And almost um, like a negotiation kind of sort of, but just until the point that you are out of that situation right. and then you're able to expect, like your brain comes back online mm-hmm. that, Lid gets flipped back on and suddenly you're able to like process and be like, wait a second. I had nothing to be apologizing for or, you know, people who are highly traumatized who are also really charismatic and charming live in this place of fawning frequently because Mm -hmm. they're so afraid of like people pleasers Mm -hmm. often fall into this place of fawn Mm -hmm. rather than fight, flight or freeze. Right. If that Yes, all clicks. So we won't be talking about fawning as much because it's not as widely accepted. But we will cover it a little bit with freeze. Gotcha. OK, so I'm going to cover just a little bit more about learning brain versus survival brain or, you know, having your brain on vers- versus versus um, being offline. And then we'll get into the Hulk. So when you're in learning brain, surviving in this frontal cortex, you are open to new information. You're really comfortable with ambiguity and more comfortable with change. You often feel calm and peaceful. You can even feel excited and playful and curious. Mm -hmm. Like you have the capacity to explore all of those different things. Right. When you are in survival brain, um, you are hyper focused on the threat. So you become really zeroed in on what you perceive to be a threat. You don't like ambiguity. You need to know what is going on. You don't like it's the black and white thinking that we've talked about before. Is you need to know if you are safe or if you are in danger. If this is good or if this is bad. Yeah. Um, you often feel panicky, obsessive, and afraid of getting things wrong. Check, check, check. Check every day <laughs> of my life. Uh, you really don't like making mistakes because mm-hmm. again, you're living in this place of are you safe and you really just want to get things over with. So it's not about quality, it's not about um, doing something that feels good or doing something well, like you are just literally trying to get through whatever it is and then move on to the next thing. Right. So survival brain always trumps the learning brain because it's always trying to save your life. And it's tricky because the longer that you're in survival brain mode, the harder it is to get back to learning brain. Mm, So like think of Sisyphus who is rolling the rock up the hill. Mm -hmm. So at the top of the hill is learning brain and at the bottom of the hill is survival brain. Mm -hmm. And the rock is always going to try and roll back down the hill. You are always going to be more inclined towards survival than you are to learning. Right. And the rock is like stress or anything that's unmanageable in your life. The bigger the rock gets, the more you're backsliding to that mm-hmm. survival brain rather than being a learning brain. So, you with me for all of this so far?
1: Oh, I'm on board. This is Good. very interesting.
0: Yeah, I love learning about this. And it is something that we think about. In social work all the time because we see kids who are highly traumatized mm-hmm. and we need to understand their behaviors and why they do the things that they do right um, so that we can help them overcome or change their coping skills so that they are able to be more successful mm-hmm. okay so let's talk about the hulk
1: let's do it
0: disclaimer i am not a comic book or superhero person well i think you're an expert Thank you. I try to be in everything. I will
1: ask you all
0: of the questions. Please don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know anything about it either.
0: <laughs> well, I saw the Batmans and a lot of the Superman movies growing up because my brother was super into them. Uh-huh. So I knew about the Hulk, but mostly like from Osmosis. Like it was going on around mm-hmm. me. So I picked up pieces you just of it. Absorbed
1: it. it. I understand. Yeah.
0: Um, not because. I actually have ever read the comic books or until last week saw any of the movies. Basically what I know is there's a big green dude that gets angry. And that was kind of the extent of what I understood. Then I watched this absolutely incredible video about trauma and the Hulk and immediately went over to my neighbor's house and was like, we're watching this movie. So she pulls up the 2003 Hulk movie and it is horrible. But my God's Did I love it? Like, this is one of those movies that you and I would watch on repeat and make fun of the entire time, but so good. Mm -hmm. Um, Highly recommend. Did not disappoint. Also, from everyone I've talked to, it is the worst of the Hulk movies. So, So, so there's that. Um, This movie was directed by Ang Lee and starred Eric Bana, Jennifer Connelly, sam elliot josh lucas and nick nolte mm-hmm. okay here's the reason that the hulk works so well to explain the fight trauma response so bruce banner who is the hulk um actually has a history of severe childhood abuse at the hands of his father mm-hmm. so he like you get pieces of his backstory throughout the 2003 movie and then I did some other research but basically he was not only the target of that abuse um he also witnessed domestic violence and I think the death of his mother at his father's hands okay so pretty horrific childhood trauma he entered foster care and I believe he was adopted according to the 2003 version he seems to have a lot of of repressed uh, childhood memories, but it's obvious that he still has a significant trauma history and PTSD. Mm-hmm. There's also a nod to epigenetics mm-hmm. here because his dad had been object- injecting himself with some sort of experiment thing that he was working on mm-hmm. that was supposed to make animals stronger and self healing. Um, and then when Banner was, or when Bruce was born, Bruce inherited that gene. So Bruce already was like predisposed to this capacity for rage. And um, like you could tell from an early age that he had something going on. And his father basically saw him as a monster science experiment. So
1: sidebar. Yes. I just watched Deep Lucy for the first time in a long time, which is basically this idea that they're going to... Um, like inject sharks with people shit so that they're smarter and then ultimately it's supposed to heal something human related. And okay. I was like, Ooh, it's not a great idea.
0: Well, we already know that dolphins are going to take over the world.
1: I would love that.
0: So long and thanks for all the fish.
1: <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> um, so that's what that makes me think of. and And it's just a generally bad idea. So I'm thinking about the mad... Scientist guy from that movie, yeah. You and get that's,
0: then that's, that's him, Bruce that's, Banner's that's dad. dad. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you get strong mad scientist vibes. Mm-hmm. And the way that this was shot was like test tubes spinning around oh. and holding test tubes up to your eye oh. and like little Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, injecting something into a frog and then subjecting the frog to gamma rays and the frog explodes. Like
1: don't explode frogs. How many
0: times do I have to say it? <laughs> at least once. An episode, (laughs) Um, but yeah. So mad scientist vibes. Son inherits whatever it was that his dad was injecting himself with. Okay. For all of you comic book nerds, I am sure that I am butchering parts of this. So feel free to send us messages and correct me. We probably won't issue a corrections corner.
1: (laughs) But (laughs) I'm trying to think about our audience and how much, how many of them. I'm sure everybody's seen it, right? It's a, it's like a. I mean, neither of us had seen
0: it, so. Yeah, it's hard to say. We can put out a poll. I'm really big into Instagram polls right now. Yeah, we can totally do a poll. We should put put out a poll. Um, So I'm writing it down. Thank you. Bruce had this capacity for rage that was made obvious from an early age, but became increasingly prevalent once he himself was infected with gamma radiation. So, basically, he also becomes a mad scientist, even though he claims to not have any recollection of his father who ends up in jail.
1: Oh, um, how did he come
0: in contact with gamma radiation? So, his research was also about gamma radiation. So, basically, he stepped into the same field as his as his dad without realizing it, <gasps> and then he goes to save a colleague who was about to be infected with gamma radiation, and he instead took the whole hit. Oh, okay. Yeah, because someone pushed a button is what the vibe like <laughs> the general gist of right. this whole story. <laughs> okay. So at this point, um we see a shift and he starts to become the Hulk when he is triggered. Okay. And the way that you can tell he's about to become the Hulk is he starts to get angry, his eyes and skin turn green, he gains all these muscles. And what's so interesting is that as he becomes the Hulk, as this rage sets in, his capacity for intelligence goes down. Mm -hmm. So the bigger and stronger he gets, his ability to communicate goes down. His ability to connect with people goes down. It's basically, he's in such a rage tunnel Mm -hmm. that he can't see anything around him. Um. Also, his self-hatred also rises. He doesn't like being the Hulk. Mm. Um, So he seems to have regrets the next day, even though he doesn't really remember a lot of it. Mm. Um, He just kind of wakes up and is like, there must be a path of destruction that I've left. It's like a Hulk hangover. (laughs) Hashtag Hulk hangover. (laughs) Um, So for every time that people try and stop him, like whenever he's the Hulk, if you shoot at him, if you like try to yell at him to get him to calm down or to listen to you, he just becomes stronger and stronger. He kind of absorbs whatever Mad bad energy, energy, and he keeps getting bigger and more hulkish and less smart. The only thing that helps him to calm down is working through the rage, destroying the threat, and then resting. He wakes up, and while he doesn't remember everything, he realizes that he's inflicted tremendous amounts of damage. Mm -hmm. So going back to our hand-brain model, he is flipped out of his cortex rational brain and into this trauma reptilian brain that Mm -hmm. is only focused on survival. Very animalistic. Exactly. People do the same thing. Like, this is not just a thing that happens in Marvel comics. Um, Children are probably the easiest example because we see it... In children readily like sure. temper tantrums hulking out is a thing that we talk about with toddlers and young children, especially adults, adults do it too. Um, but we have a little bit of a greater capacity to manage our emotions. So when toddlers are angry and they're hulking out and we immediately threaten them with consequences. So you have a toddler who's throwing a temper tantrum and you immediately say, um, you're going to time out if you can't calm down or, oh. um, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's another, you're going to lose this privilege if you don't. Right. But you're immediately throwing consequences at them. And what happens is the same thing that happens is if you shoot the Hulk, it just makes them more angry Yeah. because they're not in a place where they can rationalize my behavior is impacting this result. Yep they are solely at my behavior is this because of this. Mm -hmm. And they're only seeing that tunnel vision. So then we get in a power struggle with them and they get madder. And then we get madder and they get madder. And eventually like this continues long enough and frequently enough, we say, Oh, this kid has anger issues or even labeling them with oppositional defiant disorder or something else. And then we say their issue is this. Mm -hmm. And Really, they just have an overactive trauma response system and an inability to self-regulate. So their trauma centers are being triggered. Their brain flips off and they're going into reptilian brain. And rather than helping them get their brain back online before talking about any consequence, positive or negative, um, we're just issuing punishments. Mm -hmm. And that only feeds the Hulk, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, how is this mirrored with adults? Um, For adults, think of a person who lashes out at someone regardless of what's going on. So, um, maybe you're in a parking lot or um, I think of road rage really frequently. Girl. So, if you're already triggered, you're already in a bad mood, maybe you're running late, you're stressed, you're already in kind of a response brain because you've just got this one goal.
1: It's making me fiery even thinking about people who can't
0: drive. And then one person cuts you off, and all of a sudden you are hulked out. You mm-hmm. are pissed. You are angry. You're flipping people off. Maybe not you specific, right. but you've seen this yeah. like
1: and men. banging
0: on your steering wheel. Yeah. Um, And it's just like Hulk mode because they are so singularly focused on this one thing that they can't rationalize why someone around them may not be behaving in a way that they deem appropriate or whatever else. Again, a very simplified um, explanation. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into one a little bit more complex explanation and then we're going back to the Hulk. How is this mirrored within communities? Mm Mm-hmm. So when we think about police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement, Mm -hmm. we have an entire community of people who are angry Mm -hmm. and hurt and whose collective trauma brain has been activated by generations of trauma. Mm -hmm. So trauma passed down from generation to generation. And now they are once again triggered. Mm -hmm. And this kind of Hulk mentality of we have to survive Mm -hmm. their in survival brain comes out And what do people do? We put a police presence at a protest Mm -hmm. or we tell them to just calm down. Like we'll fix it. Mm -hmm. And neither of those responses are getting people out of survival brain. Mm -hmm. They are just making people more and more angry because again, no one is listening to the issue, which is the trauma trigger. Um, so they just get mad. We just get madder mm-hmm. over and over and over. And this is why when um, we see people destroying property or um, really, uh, I hate to use the word aggressive, but... Um, didn't. Well, especially angry and vocal, people don't understand that it's because there are generations of people in survival brain that are leading up to this moment. It is not about someone breaking a window at a shop because you have something against the shop owner. Mm -hmm. It is breaking down entire systems because collective communities have been traumatized. Mm -hmm. So you have a whole population of people who are in Hulk mode at the same time Mm -hmm. and we are doing nothing to address the trauma and everything to try and just get them to calm down Mm -hmm. and calming the Hulk down does not work. Right. Okay. So how do we prevent this? Number one, and we're going back to the Hulk specifically and then individuals because Thinking about helping communities respond to trauma is a very different, well, somewhat different Mm -hmm. way than you help individuals. Mm -hmm. So, number one, we have to try and help prevent Hulk mode. There are signs when Banner is about to lose his shit. Mm -hmm. Like, strengthening his capacity to recognize that within himself is the key. So, we can see, like, his eyes turn green Mm -hmm. when he's about to become the Hulk. Um, there's also, I was reading about the comic books and he mentions like a rise in blood pressure. His heart rate goes up. Um, so there are internal and external signals that he's about to hulk out. Mm-hmm. And as um, he is able to strengthen the capacity to recognize that, then we can start to figure out how to respond to that in a way other than hulking out. Right. Um. Two, there needs to be a focus on connection. So identifying what matters to you, who you care about, what you care about, and focusing on those things help our brains come back online. So remembering the amygdala, which is the, the barking thumb. dog, the thumb that triggers the brainstem into survival mode. It's not just the sounding the alarm. It's also where we build connection with others. Mm-hmm. So if we're able to connect with others, then we're able to start to heal and realize that we aren't. We don't need to be in survival brain, and we begin to heal through those connections. But banner still needs the hulk there are still very real threats in the world and he needs to have access to that anger when it's appropriate Mm -hmm. it's just not always appropriate right but as you and i have talked about before every survival response is a survival response because it fucking works coping skills are coping skills because they work the hulk has saved banner's life you just have to know how and when to use them um, but once the Hulk is out there, there's little that you can do but wait for that frontal lobe and prefrontal cortex to come back online. From the moment the amygdala is triggered, you have to figure out what, um, what the threat is, mm-hmm. remove the threat, And then wait for the brain to come back online. And that can take, for children, anywhere from 45 minutes or more. Mm. Um, For adults, hopefully you're able to shorten that once you recognize what the trigger is and remove the trigger. Mm -hmm. Um, But your body still has to process all the adrenaline and cortisol that's going through it.
1: Right. So it seems like it's very situational. And obviously you've discussed uh, this reoccurring system within Children, communities, and media, right? Mm -hmm. So situations with children are obviously going to be different. I mean, it's just a situational thing.
0: Yeah. So what is significant to know here is that each person has their own triggers. So Mm -hmm. for... Oh, yeah. But they're all rooted in safety. Mm -hmm. The survival brain is not activated unless it does not feel safe. Mm -hmm. So... And this is not just physical safety, but could also be emotional safety or felt safety. So, if I am in an environment where I don't feel emotionally safe, then I can go into survival brain just as quickly as if I'm walking through a back alley by myself at night. Mm-hmm. Um, both of which could trigger survival brain, but figuring out like how to get to the end of the alley and feel safe, like removing that threat is oftentimes a little easier than having this emotional safety piece, which is I don't feel safe around this person or mm-hmm. I don't feel safe expressing my needs to a person mm-hmm. or um, I'm trying to think of other things that could trigger this survival, black and white thinking brain
1: being hurt. I think like not physically hurt, but emotionally hurt that can invoke anger a lot too. And like, I'm trying really hard not to go to the other topics that you're going to be talking about in the next couple of days, because when you're confronted with a situation, like I can't relate to anger. Yeah. So it's really hard for me to, I mean, the road rage thing, like my road rage is probably, <laughs> it's like diet road rage. Um, I just, I feel anger as like a flutter in my heart. And then I feel guilty because, yeah. you know, I've, I've felt that. But um, yeah, I, I want to jump to those other coping skills. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about anger and it just looks different. Depending on what situation we're talking about.
0: So, one thing my therapist told me that has really resonated with me is that we all experience anger. It's whether we turn it out towards others or we turn it in towards ourselves. Mm. And I think that sometimes turning that anger in towards yourselves can manifest as some of the other skill or the other trauma responses that we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. the flight, freeze, or fawn. Mm-hmm. But You're still experiencing a level of anger. Mm -hmm. It's just where are you? Like, are you hulking out on yourself, right? Versus hulking out on other people. Uh huh. Um, But that was really powerful for me because up until she said that, I didn't think I experienced anger. Right. Like it. I can count on one to two hands the amount of times I've been angry in the past two years. Yeah. Like I just don't sit well with anger.
1: And I think as empaths you understand that voicing anger to another person mm-hmm. is hurtful. Right. And there are other ways to to manifest that. But again it's this it's the situation because right. you know community anger like the BLM movement that you were talking about. I mean obviously that is justified.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Um I find the fight response to be really powerful. And I think that when we think about the ways that it impacts children versus adults versus communities, how we express anger outwardly versus inwardly, um, there's just a lot to process there. You know,
1: When you're given a chart, like an emotional chart, and it has happy, sad, anger, fear, and it has faces on there that help you to kind of understand how you're feeling, you can look at these pictures Mm -hmm. with feelings associated with them. Fear is on there. I think that's a lot easier to point out when you have a resource like that. Like, how am I feeling? Like, I am angry. Yeah. And feeling anger and... You know, responding with anger, I think, are like you had said, two different things manifest differently, but it is something that we ultimately all do feel,
0: right? Um, right. Even if that's not hulking out, I remembered what I was going to say. Say it, girl. I was recently reading about and exploring empathy because I think it's a really interesting topic and something I definitely want to cover at some point, but how empathy is also a trauma response that's related to fawning or even freezing. I know. Because being an empath means that you have had to learn how to process other people's experiences and emotions to the extent where they impact your ability to express your own for the fear of triggering trauma within yourself or other people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about it in that way and not just an inherent gift. Oh, you're so empathetic. Like you're so good at Ugh. you know understanding other people. Yeah, part of it's a gift. It's also something that we've had to learn from having to consider the needs of other mm-hmm. people and prioritizing those needs above our own. It's also exhausting. It's also exhausting because it's a trauma response because it's located in the same place mm-hmm. as hulking out.
1: The palm of your hand is hulking out. The palm of your hand is... Not lizard brain. Reptile brain. Reptile
0: brain. Also called lizard brain.
1: Oh, is it? I think... I'm going to call it lizard brain. <laughs> um, and then everything else folds in on it. And then that flaps up and down, depending on how ragey or how much yeah. you're feeling. Yeah. So and when, when you're flipped up, you can't... That's when you're seeing red or seeing... You know,
0: seeing... Green, in this case. Or green. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Now um, we have a physical brain in our pockets.
0: And we have a great representation. So now when you're thinking about, like, if you're in this place of trauma response, you will hopefully have your hands nearby and Mm -hmm. you can look down and be like, okay, wait a second. What is triggering me? Why did my amygdala sound the alarm? And how do we get my prefrontal cortex back online? And the answer is connection and then waiting it out. Waiting out the... Um, adrenaline and cortisol. So, and this is the reason, I'm kind of jumping around here at the end, but this is the reason that timeout doesn't work for kids, especially highly traumatized kids, is it creates more separation. The mm. kid has to go in their bedroom where they can no longer see you. Mm-hmm. And they that can create more trauma because suddenly... If they associate you with a threat and they can no longer see you, they don't know what you're doing. They don't know if they are safe or not. So really the best way to respond when someone is in this trauma space is helping them to connect. Whether Mm -hmm. that means, like for me, we talked before my love language is touch. When I'm in a trauma place, the way to connect with me is a hand on my shoulder Or, like, some form of touch to help me feel connected to somebody or Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people, it's making eye contact. It's not saying what's wrong because then you're trying to get people to go into this space where they're not able to go because that requires thinking. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, thinking about the things that are around them. Let's sit on the couch because that helps ground you. Like, let's, you know, but not asking them can you tell me what's wrong? They can't tell you what's wrong. They're in survival brain. They're not in thinking mm-hmm. brain. Mm. So,
1: you know, the whole parenting thing, <laughs> we're obviously experts, clearly parenting experts. This is a parenting podcast. Um, but yeah, that'll, I think that'll be interesting to see how all of that evolves. Like yeah. as we eventually have them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I work with 23 kids every day. So Mm -hmm. I've gotten to use a little, a few of these skills occasionally. Um, It's been hard over COVID because it's hard to connect with people Mm -hmm. over Zoom. So a lot of the time, if I am working with a kid who's hulking out, the best I can hope for is, hey, can you look at me? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like trying to make eye contact, trying to find some form of connection with them Mm -hmm. That does not involve them having to process or analyze what's going on, but just allowing that cortisol and adrenaline to work its way out of their body until they're able to come back on. And then you can maybe talk about what's going on Mm -hmm. and what may have caused that response so that you're creating that Mm self-awareness. Like, was your heart rate up? What were you, was it hard to breathe? Like thinking about how to help, other people recognize those responses within themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: So I am now a fan of the Hulk. You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm going, there's apparently a 2008 one that was the one that my neighbor and I intended to watch. Mm. And then got halfway through the 2003 one. We were like,
1: eh, whoops, whoops. we've gone too far. (laughs) We've gone too far.
0: Yep. So I think that that's what I'm going to be doing some night this week is watching the other Hulk. So we we'll do a compare and contrast situation at some point. A
1: little diagram, a little Venn diagram, if you will.
0: We love a good Venn diagram on this podcast. Remember that one time we did a Venn diagram for our episode? Yeah. It was so helpful for <laughs> that one time. <laughs> awesome so
1: great job love the psychology topic let's take a quick break and we will be back with our history topic awesome
0: all right and we're back I never get to say that part. I was, thank you for being distracted so I could say it first. You say it. I think you say it. You always say the, and we're back. I do. Yep. Every time. Memory
1: is a weird (laughs) thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, everybody. So for our history topic today, we are going to be talking about John Rockefeller. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. So, a few weeks ago, our very beloved Rihanna joined the ranks and became a fucking billionaire.
0: Hey, girl, hey.
1: Yeah, right? We'll be over in 10 minutes.
0: Girl, get your girl.
1: So, according to Forbes, Rihanna is now worth $1.7 billion, Damn. making her the wealthiest female musician in the world and second only to Oprah Winfrey as the richest female entertainer.
0: Wow. Yeah. Good for her. I know. I'm a proud mama. Can I just say, I love that two strong black women yep. are like one in the one and two spots. Yep. That's incredible. Love it.
1: And so well deserved. They are absolutely forces. Yeah. For so, sure. So, we're going to be talking about a guy who's like way less cool. So. <laughs> Um, but it. it did get me thinking about, you know, who were the who are the other billionaires that exist in the world? Who was the first? Um, and,
0: you know, how have things kind of changed from from then to now? But I was wondering why we were jumping from Rihanna to a white man. Yeah. Well, so he was the first billionaire in the he world. Was the
1: very first billionaire.
0: OK, that's kind of cool.
1: So John Rockefeller was born on July 8th. 1839, and he is often referred to as the oil titan.
0: Is his middle initial D? Yeah, John D. Rockefeller. I don't know why I would know just random shit like this. D. That. Yeah, because he was a D. <laughs>
1: um, it's so fitting. he he was a business owner who earned the first official title of billionaire in 1916 for his ownership of Standard Oil.
0: Who needs to be a billionaire in 1916? Yeah. Ga like... He was a busy beaver. Okay, but cool. Also, I mean, cars were just barely being invented. Mm-hmm. Airplanes were beginning to be a thing. Like, what in the world would you need a billion dollars for? What does anyone today need a billion dollars for? I know that we're not talking about (laughs) capitalism. However. However, since we're here. Since we're here. It's hard to say. I think in people's minds,
1: once you earn a certain amount, you'll be happy, you'll be fulfilled. But I think that we know ultimately that over a certain amount of money no longer makes
0: you happy. Well, and we know that having a billion dollars does not mean that you have a billion dollars in the bank account. It means that you have a billion dollars in assets. It's sure. like a net worth, not yep. a how much money is in your current bank account. Sure. That, so a there's point. a lot more to it. Right, right. Also, I think I read uh, research somewhere that said that after $70,000 um the amount of money that you have does not increase your happiness Mm -hmm. or have an impact on your happiness Mm -hmm. do you also quote that research because you're nodding your head at me
1: i think i told you that
0: did you tell me that you may have
1: it's in the happy documentary oh yeah it is i got you girl girl thank
0: you girl get you, girl 70 that's the third time we said that today
1: um so john came from humble beginnings his father was actually kind of like a con artist he was one of those sales guys who was like oh i'll sell you this snake oil and this elixir <laughs> and he kind of traveled across the u.s um john was the second oldest of six children so oldest boy okay so that's a thing yep Um, Go listen to our birth order episode. Yeah. And I think that I will be making a point to refer to that in all of the people that I cover over history so that we can kind of of decide what we feel about that. Yeah. Um, So John's home life was not necessarily easy. His father was often absent, you know, traveling for work. Um, And his father did have an affair and a child with another woman. Um, And he was essentially splitting his time between the two families. He did convince um, his two partners, his wife and his other wife, uh, to kind of have, like, a sister-wife situation. Mm. Um, And they all together moved to Ohio. Okay. Um, It is said that not being able to rely on his father for stability may have motivated him to work at such an early age. And in September of 1855, Rockefeller went to work as an assistant bookkeeper at the age of 16 at a produce commission firm in Cleveland, Ohio, named Hewitt and Tuttle. Quote, he worked long hours and delighted, as he later recalled, quote, all the methods and the systems of the office. That was like his jam. He's like, What the how does this shit work? What's how does this business run? I am very interested in learning all about it. Mm-hmm. He was particularly adept at calculating transportation costs, which served him well later in his career. Much of Rockefeller's duties involved negotiating with barge canal owners, ship captains, and freight agents. In these negotiations, he learned that posted transportation rates were believed to be fixed, and they could be altered depending on conditions and timing of freight and through the use of rebates to preferred shippers which is Taru. Rockefeller was also given the duties of collecting debts when Hewitt instructed him to do so. Um, Rockefeller received $16 a month for his 3 months apprenticeship, and during his first year, he received $31 a month, which was increased to $50 a month, and his final year, he received $58
0: a month, end quote. And then he becomes a he started making fifty eight dollars a month, yeah, and becomes a billionaire. And becomes a That's billionaire. Fascinating, yeah.
1: So at a really early age, Rockefeller said that his two goals in life were to make a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which was the equivalent of like under three hundred million today. Yeah, uh, but still, like, who the fuck? Who who? Which kid today is like, I want to make three hundred million dollars? That's, like, a very specific number. <laughs> um, and he also wanted to live to be 100 years old. Well, he achieved at least one of those things. I, that's my next line, as one of those happened. <laughs> um, he celebrated the day in September, which was the 25th in 1855. That was his first day as a bookkeeper. And he called it Job Day. Oh, And he celebrated it every fucking year until he died. That's so cute. is crazy? I actually like, I mean...
0: Nah, I don't like that. I would never celebrate the first job I ever had, the anniversary of that job. I mean, I think that celebrating anniversaries of things that are significant to you are important and, Mm -hmm. like, remembering those things. But I don't want my job to define my entire life. Yeah, that is very fair. And for that to be a significant anniversary would mean that it defines some piece of my life.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and if you interview for some certain jobs, they're going to ask you how money motivated you are. And yeah. I think those things correlate. Oh, right?
0: absolutely.
1: So absolutely. We see where he's, he's heading. Um, so he learned enough from his first job to start his own local business. Um, he was trading and selling. He was basically like a merchant. Um, and he did well enough in his first year of business to establish his- himself, himself as a successful business owner so in 1861 uh was the beginning of the civil war and rockefeller was drafted um to fight for the north and instead of serving he paid a professional soldier to go in his place so that he could continue running his business which i didn't even realize was a thing draft dodging yeah that you could pay like that they weren't like no you have to come specifically but they were like, we don't care who's there, just as long as we have somebody, but that you could just, like, pay somebody openly to take your place. It's also super fucking shitty. Oh, yeah. So, it's obviously a very privileged thing. Yeah. Um, in order, and, and, oh, God, like, what somebody's circumstances would have to be to be working in that field. Um so he did that. Um, and not only did he not have to go to war, he was able to fr- profit from the war by
0: selling items to the, the army. You know what pisses me off about that? Everything. Is everything. And that my grandfather um, was, had just gotten married, graduated from NC State, and then voluntarily went into the war so that other people wouldn't have to go. And here we have a man who ends up making a billion dollars in his lifetime, er, Mm or, yeah, who, like, got out of the war and benefited from it. Like, Mm -hmm. there are so many people who lost their lives, Mm -hmm. and it pisses me off that people capitalized on it.
1: Yeah. 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 Just like the prison system. Amen. Say that one more time (laughs) for the people in the back. So, today we know that the Middle East is where the oil industry is largely oriented today. However, remember that we're all sitting on Earth, and there is oil. Is that where we are? We are all on Earth. Um, If we have any astronauts who are listening, let us know. Didn't Amazon guy go to space recently?
0: Bezos, yeah. Uh Uh-huh,
1: yeah. So, fucking, speaking of billionaires. Yep. So, everybody is grounded except for that motherfucker. But um, so there's oil everywhere, ultimately, most places. Um, And in the early 1860s, there was something called the Pennsylvania Oil Rush, which was in Pennsylvania. Um, And it was similar to the Gold Rush in the fact that it made people kind of flock to the areas, trying to like, you know, like a get rich quick kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But we know that no oil comes out of the ground ready to be used right it has to be refined has to be processed in order to be used Um, and they were using it for things like lighting their uh, lanterns their oil lamps things like that Um, and at the age of 26 after kind of seeing the the Pennsylvania oil rush he decided that he was gonna create a refinery in Ohio so quote By the end of the American Civil War, Cleveland was one of the five main refining centers in the U.S. besides Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and New York, and the region in northwestern Pennsylvania where most of the oil originated. By 1869, there was triple the kerosene refining capacity than needed to supply the market, and the capacity remained in excess for many years, end quote. On January 10th, 1870, John Rockefeller began the Standard Oil business. Standard Oil is the name of the company. So he began Standard Oil as a business. Um, and became he began buying up all of the other small refineries in the Cleveland area. Okay. okay. So the industry as a whole was gaining heavy traction and transportation of the goods was also kind of struggling to keep up with the demand. Quote, the railroads competed fiercely for traffic and in an attempt to create a cartel to control freight rates formed the South Improvement Company offering special deals to bulk customers like Standard Oil. Um, So the cartel offered preferential treatment at a high volume, uh, which included not just deep discounts and rebates up to like 50%, Oh, damn. Um, But also rebates for the shipping of competing products. So the Pennsylvania Railroad Company struck a deal with Rockefeller to move his freight at a lower cost. Okay? So they even expanded their tracks. They were, like, heavily invested in this deal. They were... Because at the time... There were all these different companies. There wasn't the centralized railroad system. It was a little bit company by company. Right. Um, But eventually, of course, they discovered that they couldn't sustain business having given the standard oil company such a huge discount. So they had to go back and say, hey, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Um, And instead of negotiating further, Rockefeller decided he was going to build his own pipelines instead.
0: I hate this guy more and more the more we talk about him.
1: I know. At this point, Standard Oil is now 90% of the market in the United States. Damn. What's that called? A monopoly? Well, Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, And he was doing whatever he could to maintain it. So after Rockefeller stopped using the Pennsylvania Railroad Company in 1877... So, the railroad company in 1877, they opened their own refinery um, because they had invested in all these trains. They're like, what are we going to do with all this stuff if not to move oil? Um, Rockefeller was completely pissed off. For sure. And he did everything he could to put them out of business, and he eventually purchased their refineries for $3.4 million dollars. So, about ten years after this, and this is just a side note, the U.S. did pass a Interstate Commerce Act, which regulated the price for transportation, specifically for railroads. So, it means that people were there was some sort of system. Right. But again, that was like ten years later. The company continued to grow and eventually had twenty thousand domestic wells, four thousand miles of pipeline. 5,000 tank cars and over 100,000 employees. Like, that's a huge operation. 10,000 employees? Ohio was working on legislation that would prevent monopolies in the state. Yeah. So before they could do that, Rockefeller moved the business corporation to New Jersey in 1882 to avoid said (laughs) laws. Uh, And they also moved the headquarters to New York City. But in 1890, so not eight years later, um, they passed the Sherman Antitrust Act, which if anybody's ever studying for their PHR or any type of higher education test, they're going to talk about the Sherman Antitrust Act. So listen up. Um, but this is basically what passed, um, which prevented and made having a monopoly on one particular thing illegal.
0: Across the country? hmm Okay.
1: Yes. Nationwide is on your side. In 1892, Congress voted that the Standard Oil Company was in violation of this act. So, what does John Rockefeller do?
0: Does he divide up his company but still maintain control over the assets? That's exactly
1: what he does. Oh, Gold Star. (laughs) Gold Star. So he divided up one large company into smaller ones. So technically, he wasn't breaking the law. In 1899, they were brought uh, back under the Standard Oil Company as subsidiaries. So a few of these subsidiaries were BP and Exxon, which you might—I've
0: heard of them. Be familiar with,
1: yeah. So the community as a whole, like your average person or av- average even local business owner, they're all super mistrusting of this guy because of obviously, um, and he you know he'd been buying up smaller businesses, and so people felt threatened that you know he'd move from the oil industry into the railroad industry, and you know who could be next? Yeah. Quote, one of the most effective attacks on Rockefeller and his family was the 1904 publication of The History of the Standard Oil Company by Ida Tarbell.
0: Great last name.
1: Yeah. She documented the company's uh, price wars, heavy handed marketing tactics and courtroom evasions. Although her work prompted a huge backlash against the company, Tarbell stated that she was surprised at its magnitude. Quote, I never had an animus against their size and wealth, never objected to their corporate form. I was willing that they should combine and grow as big and wealthy as they could, but only by legal means. But they had never played fair and they ruined their greatness for
0: me. End quote. I think that that's the moral of a lot of this is that right. he never played fair. Do it right. I'm with her. Yeah, same.
1: Um and he began to like public- publicly, you know, campaign, you know, to of kind course of re-, he did. Re-, re you know, make himself look better and and you know, he did a lot of things with other businesses. We have the Rockefeller Center now. The 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 family ultimately has still has a lot of stakes and a lot of things now. Um and ultimately, he lived a very, you know, long and healthy life. He did not quite make it to 100 years old. Um, Darn. I know.
0: One of the two goals in life.
1: I know. He was... He was, I mean, very close. It was 98, I think, when he died. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, 98. Um, so... He developed alopecia later in his life, in his 50s, and by 1902, his signature mustache had disappeared, which is kind of how people knew him. That was, like, in all the newspapers when he was being printed and yeah. drawn. It was his mustache. Um, and Rockefeller did pass on May twenty-third, 1973, less than two months shy of his 98th birthday. Um, and at his peak in 1913... John Rockefeller had established the network uh, net worth of the equivalent of $418 billion. Wow. Holy cow. Holy shit. I know. So I thought it would be kind of fun to see, like, let's look at some of the billionaires currently. Let's do it. So I am on a Forbes site that changes like day to day, so if this is not right when this comes out, I apologize. Um, number, one, number one, right now in the world, we have Bernard Arnault and his family at 197.5 billion dollars. Number Never heard two, of them. we have Jeff Bezos, 193.3 billion dollars. Number three, Elon Musk, Muskie. You know, it's kind of like a damp 18, 1892, 182.1 billion dollars.
0: Bill I Gates. Think number. think Bezos and Musk have been like switching back and forth for a while though. Yeah. Like they're both competing for. Right. The biggest balls. Yeah. Bill Gates is number four at 132.1
1: billion. Mark Zuckerberg is number five at 130.8 billion. All right. And then there's other people that we don't care about so just to kind of compare our favorite people where do they <gasps> fall in line oh, good. with these guys right so
0: how about lady gaga i love lady gaga
1: her network i keep saying network net worth is around 30 is around 350 million dollars okay mm-hmm. work it yep which is the same as our boo-boo Dolly Parton, <gasps> oh, they're twinning, which I would like to believe. I mean, that's fate.
0: Yeah, is that not fate? agreed? <laughs> totally agreed.
1: Um, our friend Rosie O'Donnell is coming in at 120 million. Okay, which is respectable. I'm like, oh fuck, Rosie.
0: Yeah, coming in hot. She is about to show up on the new L Word Generation Q. Uh-huh. Um, as our girl Tina's new boo I know. I'm so excited. You broke that news to me. Yeah, haven't been the same. Um, I feel like we talked about that really early on, in the start of an episode. At one point,
1: mm-hmm. uh, time is weird.
0: It's been it's been confirmed at this point. Oh, so, good, 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 good. Yeah. Not just a rumor. Okay.
1: And then our last is our other boo thing, Demi Lovato, and they are coming in at forty million. I fucking love them. I know. Come on, love love it, love hot, it. Love love hot. it. Hot. Anyway, that is the story of John
0: Rockefeller. Wow. Mm-hmm. Great job. I mm-hmm. love that we also highlighted a few of our very favorite people. Right. Which are
1: honestly more interesting. However, you know, when we think about why things are the way that they are today, it's because of people like this. Yeah. When everything was just the wild, wild west, you mm-hmm. know, being a little bit selfish um, and kind of coming in trying to, to take over the whole wide world. Which isn't good for other
0: people other than the person doing it. Oh, how's Lizzo? Let's check on our, oh. our girl Lizzo. I'll give you a moment to Google. She's got a new album that's about to drop, I think. Uh, Miss Lizzo is at $10 million. Okay. We're getting there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's relatively new to the scene. And she's fucking... Nailing it. Compared to, like, Dolly and Lady Gaga. Right. So. Right. We'll see a steep rise for her, I'm sure. So how do these two things intersect? Mm, That's a tough one.
1: Uh, I mean, right off the bat, I would think uh, your topic is about anger. Mine is uh, about success. Yeah. So how do those two topics correlate that... Your character, right, is incapable of feeling certain types or achieving certain types of success under certain circumstances.
0: Yeah, because he's in, like, this tunnel vision place where he is now the Hulk, and he has to survive. So I think that... Because we also see survival kind of in the beginning for Rockefeller. Mm -hmm. Like, he is draft dodging so Mm -hmm. that he can survive, but he's doing it for money
1: or not for his business. Not because he, not for safety. No.
0: Um, I mean, maybe safety was a factor for him, but he also was privileged enough Mm -hmm. to not have to experience that specific trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I'm thinking about this, I'm also thinking that like when you're in survival brain, especially as it pertains to safety, like you're unable to have these really complex thoughts. You're unable to process anything other than what's right in front of you. Like when the Hulk is in Hulk's zone, he can't move forward mm-hmm. with complex rational thoughts mm-hmm. versus people who are privileged to not have this type of trauma and are therefore able to live in the thinking brain more often than those who live in survival, or more often than survival brain. mm mm-hmm. um, And we're thinking about community trauma. Like, we're also thinking about populations of people who achieve success. Like, the billionaires that you listed were all white men.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Except um, for Rihanna and Oprah. Except, right. But they weren't the top billionaires. No. Like, the top five billionaires are all white men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that they've experienced some form of trauma because most people have, but it's not enough to have kept them in survival brain. Mm-hmm. It's They're still able to you know, achieve certain things, which I think is to your point.
1: And if you go back to Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs, needs that yeah. triangle and the inverted triangle, that's essentially what we're talking about.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like how much time are you spending thinking about Being safe versus... Mm -hmm. That's a really great tie-in. You're absolutely right. Um, Good point, yeah. I think there's also something about capitalism and consumerism that ties into our most recent cult episode. Mm -hmm. But that might be a conversation for another day. I just
1: think it's so interesting. Uh, You know, research... You know, this guy has been dead since the 70s and yet his legacy still lives on um but the the consensus was that he was not doing things the proper way yeah i mean and in a selfish way for his personal gain mm -hmm. um and the the biggest example of anger is when the pennsylvania railroad company comes back and says hey we can't we got to negotiate our rate and he was so angry that he, like, He's lashes like, out you. and buys their refineries for $3.4 million. Like, what kind of a trauma response is that?
0: <laughs> I think that's a privileged trauma mm-hmm. response. I think I'd have to agree with you. I think we're going to have to throw that in somewhere. <laughs> privileged trauma response is where you can buy your way out of the trauma. Right.
1: Oh, jeez.
0: Just imagine.
1: Oh, man. That would be a, ni- a movie idea
0: so fucking. I'm sure that they're out there. Mm-hmm. Wolf of Wal- Wall Street seems like it would be a great name for a trauma response about privilege. <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually seen Wolf of Wall Wolf of Wall Street, um, yeah. so I don't know that I should be talking about it since I haven't seen it. But all right, I've only seen it once. It's fine. Yeah. So I think that's where we are with our intersections today. We'll Love have to that. keep processing. Um, cause mine is a three part series. That's right. I am so, super excited for the next two weeks. Yeah. So we can always come back and be like, Oh, I thought about this other thing that relates to the Rockefeller episode. That's exactly. So stay tuned. True. So just to kind of
1: back it up, if you guys haven't, um, checked out our Patreon currently go to our website and click on our Patreon button. So you can see all the perks we have to offer. Our pasta recipe cards are new and improved Those have gone out to all of our patrons. Um, we will be posting some of their awesome photos that they've been sending us. Yep. Yeah. So good. I also made a new recipe the other night. I'm going to run it by you. We'll talk about it later.
0: Okay. But We might be adding, I don't know. Let us know if you want us to continue adding recipes. I think we need to add a savory oatmeal recipe. It occurred to me the other day that you haven't talked about savory oatmeal in like three weeks. It's
1: a passion project. (laughs) It's a passion of mine, but yes, I can absolutely do that. Um, so yeah so awesome job um thank you guys so much for listening if you have psychology and history p- topics that you would like for us to cover shoot us an email at podwithoutanod at gmail.com also if you haven't left us a five-star review on itunes what the hell are you doing you get a sticker
0: just or a magnet or a magnet or a pen if you're really against st- stickers and magnets
1: who could be who could that be Stick, uh, they're hard to mail, but I'll consider it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, anything for our for our audience. That's right.
1: We love you all. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice.
0: And if you're out there, keep listening.
1: Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanod at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver.
0: Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.